Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 10. Yes, we've hit double digits for the Walder Sportscast. I'm Chris Walder, and if you'd ever like to follow or reach out to me on social media, you can do so on both Instagram and Twitter at Walder Sports. Before I get underway here, I just want to send everyone listening a giant thank you for giving this podcast an honest try and potentially even adding it to your daily rotation. I've I've received a number of messages recently from people who've checked us out and who are digging the format. They, They appreciate the quality audio, which again, all credit goes to my audio engineer, Jason Lung. It just truly means a lot to Jason and I that the podcast is being well received. There was a level of skepticism, at least on my part, that I could generate listenership only because it's such a saturated field and there's so many quality shows out there, but so far so good. And I really hope you out there will continue forward on this journey with us because we're having a lot of fun making it. But on today's show, I'll be joined by John Chick, who's currently an NBA news editor for the Score mobile app in downtown Toronto and formerly of CBC as well. But I just want to give our listeners a heads up that there were some audio issues recording our interview. Uh, John was outside using his phone when we chatted, which is absolutely fine. But you obviously can't account for ambiance sound like cars or music or birds or whatnot. But I think Jason has done his very best to salvage it. So I thank him for his hard work. And I know our show has a reputation for having the best sound possible. And we'll obviously continue to make that a priority moving forward for all of our shows. And speaking of past shows, cheap plug time, because I want you to check out my latest episode featuring Amon of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. I had a lot of fun chatting it up with her, talking some Raptors basketball. She revealed to me why she tweets out 11-11 every night. And of course, we had Kyle Lowry come up quite a few times. So check out that show and leave a rating and review if you like what you hear. With all of that being said, though, my interview with John Chick will be up after this quick break, so keep it locked. Joining me now is John Chick, an NBA news editor for The Score, and as Will Seguir and I dubbed in episode three, the coolest guy we've ever met. John, my man, thanks for joining me. Walder, it's so good to be here. I don't know, though. You guys, like, obviously haven't met very that, that many, many people. If you're giving me that kind of high praise, it was very touching, though. Yeah, you tweeted out afterwards that that was a, a massive accomplishment for you. Is that still the case? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. I, it might be the only time I've ever been referred to that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you guys got to get out more. Well, I'm sure we've called you that a few times uh, during our time at The Score. And like uh, you and I worked alongside each other in downtown Toronto for many years. And you and I both know that there were stretches where news wasn't exactly plentiful and it made the days go by extremely slow. But we've never experienced anything like this with the COVID-19 pandemic and the NBA being shut down completely. 
with no real way of knowing how or when play was ever going to resume. Uh, John, what have the past several months been like for you covering a league that hasn't really been churning out much breaking news until just recently? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't lie. The first couple weeks, I actually really enjoyed it. It was almost like a built-in vacation. You know, you get away from work. I mean, obviously, we were still paying attention to stuff, but there was really nothing to report. So that kind of gave way to kind of a real malaise and a kind of boredom. And as we've seen in the last couple weeks, only a lot of else going on in the world as well. But, you know, we're, we're starting to move back towards some kind of completion of the season and yeah it's 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 definitely been it's it's been different we've been tasked with uh you know doing some filler material and stuff like that um so you know and and in a situation like this everybody's kind of doing the same thing i've noticed like i even noticed that you know kind of the big wigs like espn you know they they're kind of aggregating sort of the same things we are like you know kind of big name reporters or because they're not really getting the stories because mm. nobody's really accessing anybody it's it's been wild. I mean, at this point, it feels like obviously it feels like it's been five years. It's been like almost four months. But yeah, you know, we're starting to get a trickle of stuff back. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been it's been weird. It's been tough at times, you know, mentally. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I won't lie. The first couple of weeks was fun, and then it kind of became wow. What are we doing? So what would your what's your two cents on the league returning to action next month? Because as a writer and a fan, it must be intriguing to have actual basketball games to both watch and cover again. But on the other hand, we've seen a number of players backing out. We've heard early numbers of positive co tests for COVID-19. And of course, there's also the Black Lives Matter movement and the ongoing protests that players don't want to take the focus off of. So I would love to hear what your mindset is with all of that. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, with the with the the Black Lives Matter um, issue, is like, I mean, I, that's one of the reasons I'm glad there wasn't sports happening to kind of take the attention off that. I mean, it, it's just it's been an insane stretch of what's happened in society the last couple of months to go from the the pandemic to that, um, and this is the kind of societal issue we know that has been going on in the United States, but also in Canada and other countries for a long time. And if it forces people to kind of face it without a distraction, then that's a very good thing. So I'm happy about that. As far as the league itself goes, I mean, you know, they're doing this. They're going back because they have to. They have to make money. I mean, they've lost a colossal amount of money because of this. And I think we tend to view leagues as being these titanic businesses that can't fail. But if you cut out an entire season or more, you, they're in serious financial trouble. So they're their commitment is to get the games back whenever is remotely safe to do so. And I think that's what they've been trying to do. The The benefit for the NBA and probably other leagues as well is you've got willing participants. I mean, most athletes are pretty competitive. They want to go out there and play. I mean, LeBron James early on was saying that he didn't want to, you know, cancel the season, give up on it. Most guys are in the same boat. Now, clearly there's going to be exceptions. You've seen guys like Wilson Chandler, Avery Bradley make very good reasons. And if you don't want to participate in this, you shouldn't be forced to. And there's right. nobody should hold it against them if they don't want to either. So, I mean, that's that's important. But you, I think you're going to see the vast majority of guys kind of commit to this. I don't know what it's going to look like. I think it's there's some holes in the in the plan. But I, like Silver even admitted it, that there's no totally risk-free environment. Um, I think there's some other optically bad issues going on as well. Kind of maybe come up in the last few days, but 
these are strange times. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised they're going to come back and try and play. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing will be, can they finish? You know, is there going to be some reason? Is there going to be, you know, a spike in cases where they're playing in Florida anyway where it's bad enough? Yeah. If this thing gets into the bubble or the campus, wherever they want to call it, you know, are they going to have to call a season? In that case, that's really bad news because then they're not coming back probably for a year. About finishing, do you do you think there is truly a breaking point for the league where they'll approach a number of positive cases, which hopefully it never comes to, and they would in fact shut the league down again? Or do you think this is all to appease the public and it will simply be full speed ahead and then deal with the cases on an individual and a team basis? Yeah, I think I think Adam Silver pointed out actually, I think it was yesterday that and he, he's he's said this a couple times. If they have like a real bad outbreak in the bubble, they he said they will shut it down. And I I, I think optically he has to do it. It's mm-hmm. probably the NBA's worst nightmare for that to happen um, for all kinds of different reasons. Um, you know, not the least of which is the safety of the players and the people in the bubble. But yeah, I I, I think it's completely feasible that does happen. I just yeah, I have questions about how tight this bubble is and like. <laughs> You know, if, if there is a couple of positive cases, how quickly those would move through. I know they have, you know, regulations they want to adhere to about, you know, if you know, guys might have to quarantine after a positive test, does that expose other players? Um, yeah, we're still learning so much about this disease, too, that, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, this, everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. So I've had this conversation with a number of my past guests, and I think that you would be able to provide a unique perspective on this issue because you've worked in a number of newsrooms, John, albeit not recently because you've been at home, but it's about the lack of diversity and representation in sports media currently. I I personally, I've been fairly outspoken as of late about what I've seen working where I've been, but for you, John, do you think we're seeing enough women and people of color in prominent positions in the sports media industry? And if not, how can the industry improve upon that? Yeah, the, the broad answer is no, there just isn't enough diversity, period. Um, and it, it, it goes outside of just sports media. And, and then you can look at things about, you know, certain companies or like, you know, whether you're in Canada or the States. I actually think that, you know, obviously we all know the history of the United States, but I think Americans are a little further ahead in, in terms of diversity in newsrooms. I think that, you know, in Canada, maybe there's different reasons maybe why, I mean, you know, where I work now and where I worked previously, there were barely any uh, black people specifically. And the reason mm-hmm. I, I, I say that is because specifically we cover a predominantly black sport. It would be, it'd be great to have, you know, a black writer, black editor. And even if you look at the you know, the, the Raptors coverage in Toronto, the people who cover the team regularly, there's very few actual black people doing that. There's certainly, you know, like friends of ours, like Will Lou, you know, it's great to see that diversity, but you know, yes. it, it, it leaves a lot to be desired as well. Like we, 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 we have to do better. And the answer to that, I don't know, like uh, having never really been in a senior hiring position, I, I can't say what, what, you know, these people need to do better. I think, unfortunately, in, in any media, wh- whatever country you're in, I think it's very cliquish, unfortunately. And right. I think that maybe that's a reason why a lot of people don't get looks or reps. Um, you know, too often people are getting hired based on who they know, who their dad's friends with, like, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that's probably the case in a lot of industries too. But in an industry that supposedly has to be representative of the society at large. Um, it just has to do better. And I think that, you know, 
if you want to get like an anecdote about this, like to take it to see more out of the racial angle, if you look at like like look at the way the the Raptors media has kind of developed in the last decade, like you know we were guys who like you know growing up in the mainstream media there wasn't a ton of NBA coverage, so you kind of had to go outside of that, and that kind of led to the blogosphere. And uh, there was a time, you know, maybe 10 years ago, and you're one of the guys that did it too, where like the Raptors probably had more bloggers in the penalty than any other team in the NBA. Yes. And that was a result of, you know, the fact that the mainstream media in Canada didn't do a very good job covering the NBA. Um, you know, and the score specifically was a company that, you know, when it was a TV network, managed to kind of latch onto that niche and uh you know kind of build a community to it but overall i think everybody has to do better and i think that you know one of the things that having those independent voices and the bloggers and so forth did was it you know it'll, get, it'll allow people to build their own uh brand so to speak but there's only so much that can do at some point somebody has to give you an opportunity so you know there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a ton of talented writers of color of every different background possible we know a lot of them in toronto um, mm -hmm. you know, and all of those, just about all of them will tell you still that even the ones that have had a lot of success will say there's still a lot to be desired about, you know, what the structure of this industry, you know, can do. And unfortunately, the other problem is the industry is just in trouble anyway, because, you know, of economics and, you know, kind of the fragmentation of the whole thing. But, um, you know, at the same time, that's no excuse. You know, you have to, you kind of have to be representative of everybody. Chick, you wrote this incredibly powerful piece recently for The Voice, and it was about the 35-year anniversary of the Air India bombing on June 23rd, 1985, which killed over 300 people, 268 of whom were Canadians and mainly of Indian descent. There was also the two baggage handlers who died after a suitcase exploded at Tokyo's Narita Airport. And Chick, you mentioned that your father worked for the RCMP and served as a liaison officer based in Hong Kong. And you talked about the toll the case took on him before ultimately connecting those events of the bombings to what's going on currently in our society today with police officers and the civil unrest following the murder of George Floyd in the United States. I'd admittedly be hard-pressed to articulate your words as well as you did. So if you may, John, talk to me about that piece and anything you may have learned or possibly had reinforced by writing it about police corruption, systematic racism, the Black Lives Matter movement, or anything along those lines. Yeah, thanks, man, for uh, for for saying that. I appreciate that a lot. Um, you know, it wasn't an easy thing to write, but, you know, and, and the background was I did it for this kind of small weekly newspaper in the town my mom lives in, my dad used to live in, okay. um, because I thought that, like, you know, there were, you know, it's a probably white community, and I, I thought that people probably needed to hear that story to some degree and try and tie some things together, you know, not to stereotype all small towns and white people, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's a lot of kind of outdated views in these places. So I just I thought it was uh, it was important to kind of to, to, to say it and, you know, just tied in with the anniversary of that bond, which I think about every year because you know, my dad told me all about it, you mm -hmm. know, years after the fact. Um, but, yeah, my dad had some pretty interesting viewpoints of that. And like he had retired, you know, relatively young and then, you know, had kind of watched what had happened in the world. And like, you know, he was well aware of kind of the problems that exist with you know, police unions, especially, um, 
a kind of a lack of accountability. I, I think he was deeply saddened by it because I think he had, you know, devoted a large chunk of his life to doing that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, to see a lot of, you know, people working in that, in that field that weren't exactly qualified to do so. And, uh, you know, he, he, and you see the things in the media that, that happened. So, yeah, yeah, it was, a it was a little tough to write, but, uh, you know, I thought it was important and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that overall in terms of Canadian sense is like, I, like I said about, you know, the difference in Canada and the States is obviously we have a lot of systemic colonial racism here. Um, and not unlike the States, it might not be as, you know, blood soaked, but yeah. I think Canadians have a tendency to kind of forget that sometimes and not really know their own history. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's just something worth noting really. I mean, I don't know. I got some positive feedback from it, from people who like my parents know, and like, you know, people in that town said this was good. I didn't get anything negative, so that's good. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think it's just important to speak up. Like, I, I know what you were saying about, you know, since the George Floyd killing, which has been just, you know, over a month ago now, kind of changed the whole tenor of this pandemic situation because we just started yeah. watching that. And, like, you know, it, it added this whole other kind of layer of grief to it. What I've been trying to do is trying to listen more to people. And, I, you know, I guess, you know, like you say, you got to kind of amplify voices of people who don't, you know, who, who are who, people of color who who have something to say about this, you know, and it might not be comfortable and not be something everybody agrees with, but it's important to do. So, you know, that was that was my two cents worth. You know, I, I, I come from a place of privilege. I'm well aware of that. You know, my dad did pretty well in his life. Right. Um, so, you know, he, he did die young, but, you know, and, and that, but that's life. And I know, you know, a bit about that with your dad passed away. Our dads were both older, but. Yeah, it's it's just something you, you want to get out there and, and and talk about. So, well, I'm glad you got such positive feedback on that piece. I, I think it was an extremely important piece for you to write, and I absolutely thank you for penning it. Um, mildly relating this back to the NBA, of course, we we heard recently that the league is going to be painting the words "Black Lives Matter" inside both sidelines and all three arenas out in Orlando, and that players may even be allowed to have personalized social justice messages on the back of their jerseys. John, John, do you think the league is kind of glossing over those issues with aesthetics, or is there anything more tangible that the NBA can be doing at the moment? At the moment, I don't know. I think that, you know, I, I think this is also something that, that came from a lot of players who had concerns about how this was going to look once they started, you know, playing games again. And uh, yeah, I'll give the NBA credit for, you know, a, a lot of things. They've been a little bit further ahead than other leagues on this, obviously. Um, you know, the, the, they've been in the past willing to, to have that conversation, you know, and, and so is people around the league, you know, like, you know, remember when inside the NBA after the Ferguson protests in like 2014, yeah, we had a whole show to talking about that, you know, and uh, the and players are wearing warm up shirts and said, I, I can't breathe then. So, you know, I, I think that I don't if it's, it's not glossing over yet, I don't think I think that, you know, in the long run, this is always the case, right? That's what people keep saying is that we, we move on from one crisis story to the next. So, you know, we don't want to forget this kind of moment. Um, I, you know, I think there's certainly things a league can do otherwise of probably broader, you know, in terms of what they can do, you know, working with communities and things like that. Um, you're going to have to see what happens with that in the future, though, because I think that at the moment, you know, this is just incredibly weird situation where everybody's going to be playing in Disney World. I mean, yeah. you, can only, you can only do so much kind of aesthetically, right?
shifting gears here, which is never easy when discussing subject matter quite like this. John, you and I are both based out of Toronto. We've followed the Toronto Raptors for years, so we've seen firsthand the impact that Vince Carter, who just recently announced his retirement, had on both the franchise and Canadian basketball as a whole. You had this awesome Carter piece from a few years ago back for the score titled A Tale of Two Careers, where I remember the opening graph was about how Carter and Alvin Williams could walk through the Eaton Center and no one knew who he was, but then the dunk contest changed everything for him. Uh, John, in your mind, what do you think Carter's 22-year career will be most remembered for? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, you could probably equally remember it. Now, obviously, people like us from Toronto who remember the entire scope of it are probably going always going to remember the Raptor era. And I mean, there's still some Raptor fans who obviously won't forgive him for the way he left and all that kind of stuff. And I, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll even forgive them if they want to do that. I think it's a little stupid at this point. But, you know, I think there's also other, like, probably younger fans who would just remember him as this guy who played you know for a bunch of different teams like phoenix and memphis and sacramento and was like a just this kind of you know quality veteran guy on the bench um you know dallas as well you know where he where he kind of moved to the bench under rick carlisle like yeah. it, it's just there's really never been like a career like that and i think that when i wrote that story like two years ago we were thinking that it was possibly because in the last couple of years as he gotten older we thought well this might be his last year this might be his last year but more you know in depth i just thought this is kind of a wild career this guy had because you know at the beginning he got christened to be the next jordan that didn't work out for all kinds mm -hmm. of reasons but i've always maintained that one of the reasons it didn't work out is because he didn't necessarily want to be that guy like i don't think he ever wanted to be the face of the nba and you know unfortunately there were some injuries and stuff that kind of came into play and you know the the stuff about where he when he wanted out of Toronto, you can't necessarily blame him completely the way the, the team was managed horribly. Um, but I think the Raptors years are still going to be his are, are what people are going to think of the most. Cause really, I mean, the nets, he, 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 man, he still had some crazy dunks with the nets. You could, you know, still some hops, but you know, what do we remember of those nets? Like really, I mean, not that necessarily those early 2000s Raptors were like a juggernaut, but they were a, a major piece of Canadian basketball in terms of Raptors fans like us for, you know, kids who were like even guys like Andrew Wiggins and Tristan Thompson who were very young when he was playing there and, you know, watching games in the 300 level and, and, and stuff. So yeah. I, think, I, I think his in, impact on Canada basketball, not necessarily just the NBA, but the growth of the game is, you know, unmistakable. I feel like those dunks he had over Alonzo Mourning when he was a net was the most memorable thing he ever did in New Jersey. I could be wrong, but just from a highlight standpoint, that that yeah. definitely ranks up there. Yeah, that dunk on Zoe might be his greatest ever dunk, like in-game dunk. I mean, I mean, obviously the dunk contest was a whole other level. It's 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 not something that anybody's really replicated since. I, I don't think you can have another dunk contest like that. I mean, it's going to be years where we see something like that. Maybe Zion could pull something off one day. I don't know, but. <laughs> But yeah, no, for sure. Like, uh, it, it's probably the Raptors. Well, well, that kind of leads me into my next question, John. Like, besides the dunk contest, because that's obviously a no-brainer, is there one Carter moment or soundbite or play that, like, stands out to you above the rest? Wow. Like, probably, it wouldn't necessarily be, like, one... Well, I mean, the missed shot against Philly, unfortunately, is, like, really kind of stuck with me for a long time. So I had to do oh, yeah. that in the story as well. But the series before that, where they beat the Knicks, 
and he went off in like game. Actually, no, it would have been in the Sixer series. It was the like game three of the Philly series. He scored like fifty-one points. Mm-hmm. No, well, did, he, did he crack fifty? But anyway, he had like nine threes in the first half, and that right. was nuts. That was nuts. <laughs> That was incredible, and like that's c- kind of when the moment where like I kind of f- kind of foresaw like where the Raptors could really be like you know the number one team in the city, even though it lasted like we're just talking about an example of one game. But you know, years later, we saw it last year when the Raptors won the championship. You know, the city just fell in love with them. Like the energy was incredible. Um, you know, it, like yeah, it was. I, I think that would be it. Um, other than that, I mean, the Olympic dunk where he jumps over Frederick Vies, but I mean, he wasn't oh, yeah. the Raptors even for Of but, course. Yeah. yeah. No pun intended, of course, but do you think it's a slam dunk that Vince Carter gets in the Basketball Hall of Fame? I don't know if it's a slam dunk, but I think he should be there. I mean, just, just on scope alone. Unfortunately, I don't think they necessarily do that based on scope. But the fact is, he played 22 years, which nobody else really did. So... You know, if you you can look at you have to look at his stats and compare it with anybody else spread out over 22 years because he was a role player for basically the second half of that. Mm-hmm. Um, those numbers come down. I, I think there should be a place to. I don't know if it's a slam dunk, unfortunately, though. And do you think he would even go in as a Toronto Raptor? I mean, obviously he had his most success north of the border, but is there a chance he gets in with another jersey? Well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I I think that he probably would remember. I, I think when push comes to shove and like he's talked about this and even when we, he was here, every time he came back, there was always a circle of media and he would always talk to the guys. Um, he, he remembers a lot of the, the guys like Doug Smith who covered Michael Grange who've been covering him since like day one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and even like some of the, the guys who work at the arena, he was quite friendly with. I think that he views Toronto as probably, you know, kind of where it all started. And I, I think he probably would prefer that. Um, yeah, because if you look at the other teams, like we said, the Nets, I mean, they were good, but their finals years were behind him when he got there. And then after that, he was a role player. He was a very good role player. He was an important role player. I thought what he did in Dallas was important. But, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, he, and maybe maybe he'd never admit this, but in his heart of hearts, maybe he wishes that things had worked out differently. You know, maybe if they're, you know, say if T-Mac had a stayed, you know, like, T-Mac might have become the alpha, and I think Vince might have been fine with that. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. That was never going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I think he holds Toronto probably number one in his heart of all the places he played in. I think it's a shame that he never got that one final appearance in Toronto. And I think it would have been really cool had he signed a one-day contract to finish his career as a Raptor, similar to what Paul Pierce did with the Boston Celtics. I think that would have been a nice gesture on behalf of the organization. But, of course, a lot of things are happening in the world right now that are preventing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, he mentioned that when, when he was here uh, with the Kings, when I talked to him for that story. He's like, he even said, he's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be a one-day thing. He just kind of mumbled the word one-day. And everybody's like, oh, you talk about a one-day contract? Right. And I think that's what that's really what he wanted. But yeah, but he, but he played so long. I mean, we were talking about this in 2018. But he wanted to stick around until 2020. And I mean, unfortunately, the world kind of got in the way of that. Um, yeah. I kind of I wish in the back of my head that he would have, you know, actually played for the Raptors his final season. Whether that was this season or, or next, if he was ever going to consider that. But... I think he's, he, you know, he can't keep, you know, tempting fate by playing when it was mid-40s. But, um, 
but yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's, it is unfortunate the way it went down. Um, and the Hawks aren't obviously included in this bubble thing. That's probably for the best. I mean, it would be kind of a weird way to go out. But like he said, the way he went out, he had a three playing the Knicks, I think. Yeah. Uh, March 11th, when everything got shut down. Um, I think he was happy. But this is a guy who I, I don't think he, he's in love with narratives, right? Like, I think he just he's happy with what he's got. And he should be. He's a immensely wealthy guy he's had a hell of a career i don't think he necessarily needed some crowning moment or like he, he didn't necessarily want to ring chase he said that as well so i think he's he's happy he's you know it, it, it didn't end perfectly but it you know it, it's over I think it's so silly because there's so many people on the Raptors Twitter sphere suggesting that Vince Carter, just because of the way he left the organization, shouldn't have his jersey retired by the Raptors, which I think is just absolute nonsense. And then there's also this mindset that Kyle Lowry should be the first because he's considered, you know, the GOAT Raptor. <laughs> John, where do you stand on this? Because personally, I don't think it matters who receives the honor first, but do you think the organization would kind of bide their time, perhaps give it to Kyle Lowry once he does call it a career and then retire the jersey of Vince Carter or is it just like a time manner where Vince retired first he should get his jersey up there uh, first off I don't even know if they'll actually retire it I think they could do a ring of honor thing you know where okay. they just honor the number and because a lot of people pointed this out too it was Amir Johnson wore 15 and Amir Johnson had his own <laughs> little kind of cult following and he was a good player for a couple years make no mistake I mean he wasn't have the impact of Vince but you know, if you're going to do that, I don't know. I, I, I could see the Raptors maybe going in the direction of, you know, honoring the number. I mean, you might at one point in the future, way down the road, want to retire Kyle Lowry's number, given <laughs> on, you know, you know, kind of the perfect career he's had as a Raptor, you know, delivering a championship and, and everything he's done, be, kind of being the catalyst and the heart and soul of this team for a better part of a, dec a decade. Um, whereas Vince's impact certainly is undeniable like we were talking about but also it's it's kind of broader in a way and i really think it's more about you know canadian basketball and his influence on younger players and things like that and uh you know, mike george agent said that you know, a couple years ago is like like the steve nash's impact on Canada basketball is like undeniable too he got of so course. many kids playing but also like because vince because he's a black guy you know you know that kind of visual representation with a lot of black kids in Toronto and elsewhere in Canada, you know, they might not necessarily have gotten into basketball as heavily, you know, right? So yeah, it, it's equally important as Nash in terms of, you know, Canadian basketball parlance. And, uh, you know, I, I think if, if that merits him retiring the number 15, then I, I have no problem if they do it. Uh, I also have no problem if they just do an honor thing. I do think they probably have to retire Kyle Lowry's number as far as who goes first. Yeah, it's probably if you're going to honor Vince or even retire his number, you probably have to do a first because it's, you know, he's like a decade older than Kyle. And now, like, we're, we're talking about, you know, when is this going to happen in terms of the next couple of years? Either way, I don't think it should happen until we can actually put fans back in the arena. Yeah. Yeah, and I so. guess I guess Vince Carter will be looking over his shoulder at this point for Amir Johnson to possibly get retired before him, and maybe even Anthony Bennett at this point. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. There are actually a couple of people on Raptors Twitter, I, I, I'm pretty sure, would encourage to retire Amir Johnson's number, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that.
Shake buddy, we're coming to a close here, but before I let you go, I'm going to send some fun rapid fire questions your way if you're down. Yeah, let's do it. I can't guarantee I'll answer them properly, but let's give it a shot. <laughs> So this question comes courtesy of my girlfriend, Megan, and basically anyone who follows you on Instagram, you're Husky John. What's its name? How long have you had it? And what spurred on those videos of you in your car where you talk about the most random subject matter with your dog sitting in the backseat? Uh, the, the dog's name is Artemis or Artie. Uh, he actually, uh, we he came into our lives because my wife's brother got him, well, 2010, late 2010, early 2011. He got a, a husky puppy and then he decided to like fuck off to school for like eight years after that so we were basically tasked at that point with with taking care of him most of the time like he does spend sometimes at my wife's parents house but he it, during the pandemic and really in the months before that he's basically been with us the whole time so and then with these these stupid car videos the way that started was uh like I would have to drive him or take him back to my wife's parents' house or vice versa, go back and forth. And like, I, I, for some reason, I just, I, I've always liked the idea of like, if, you, if you're doing like any kind of like two person interview, you just do it in a car because you don't have to, there's really no little, there's no camera movement. Just set up something on the dash and uh, you know, and just talk. I just think that that's almost comical in its own right. And that's, you know, kind of that comedians and cars getting coffee kind of thing. But anyways, it's like, yeah, I always make random observations of myself when I'm driving anyway. So I just figured one day with the camera sitting there, why don't I just start making observations to the dog about really stupid things. And when I looked at the video after just out of curiosity, I found his reaction to be the most entertaining part of the whole thing. So don't mind me. I'm just saying really dumb shit. And I mean, <laughs> you know, um, but it's just his reaction. He sometimes will bark, sometimes will howl. Uh, sometimes he'll actually try to hump me. I mean, not necessarily <laughs> driving because that could be kind of dangerous, but of course, yeah, but uh, he's uh, yeah, he's definitely the star of the show. I'll put it that way. Well, I think those videos are hilarious. My girlfriend, Megan, absolutely adores them. And I, on Instagram, I thought for the longest time that you actually named your dog Homeboy because you referred to him as Homeboy in so many <laughs> posts. Yeah, and I, I just, it was just uh, just my automatic reaction. I just call him Homeboy because I'm basically with him most of the day. So, or homes or homie or. Uh, Chick, when you do have some spare time these days, have you found yourself binging any shows? What's your program of choice? Man, like at first, I was trying to catch up on like, what the hell, what did we watch at first? Like the, the first couple weeks, like I said, I was in vacation mode. I drank a lot of beer, smoked a lot of cigars. Um, but then since then, we, we, right now, we're, I've been binging on this uh, Netflix show called The Politician, which is actually kind of funny. It's about this like idiot who wants to be president, but it starts out with him running for high school president. And it really kind of encapsulates kind of the stupidity of politics and a lot of the people who work in the political. <laughs> uh, like Gwyneth Paltrow plays the guy's mom. Um, it's pretty good. That's what I've been on the last couple of weeks. But I, like it's the way things have gone the last like four months, I can't even remember what I was, I, I was catching up on a few things um, I caught up on a, there were a lot of Wire episodes that I hadn't seen because I never actually okay. completed the entire run. So I watched a few of those. Um, like there were points 
based on what we had with our TV service provider. It's kind of been up and down, but uh, I was actually watching Seinfeld episodes for a stretch, and then I got to the Classic. point where I was seeing them. I was seeing them like for a second time. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to stop watching these. But they're <laughs> always they're, they're still funny. And that show was like that show was a hit in like the '90s. Yet it's still somehow funny. I mean, there are probably a few episodes where you're like, well, it might not age as well today, but there's still the stupidity of it is still is still there. Curb your enthusiasm. Um, I've been going back to some of that. Um, I actually rewatched a couple episodes of House of Cards as well, okay. which at the time was a great show. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, I'm not like big in a. I, unfortunately, I'm not a Game of Thrones guy. Um, I've been people have been telling me that I, I really should watch it, and I, I'm not a, just a big fan of like fantasy or period pieces. But yeah, I might I might get suckered into it at some point. This isn't ending soon. Once we have games back, it's obviously going to be different because I'm going to be watching those. But I still, you know, I'm more inclined to want to watch stuff when games are going on. Like because once you're back into the groove of watching basketball, then you need a break from basketball to watch something else. So what I've been watching, you know, now has also been just a lot of YouTube videos and stuff and like dunks and like old games and like obviously the, uh, you know, the the Michael Jordan thing was mm -hmm. amazing. Um, I watched that, uh, you know, the LeBron thing the other night, the 30 for 30 about, or not the 30 for 30, just the thing about the decision. That was also pretty good. So, uh, you know, once, uh, it's it's strange, but once sports gets back, I'll probably have more of a, of a focus on what to watch that's not sports, if that makes any sense. Well, that's a nice segue to my next question because I know you caught the Last Dance documentary as did most basketball purists like myself out there did. Did the documentary change your opinion at all about Michael Jordan? And where do you currently stand in the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate? I've always like, like I've always said that LeBron is better because he just does more. And like a few people have said this, like he he's literally like, he's a power forward who plays point guard like he's a he has a body of an nfl linebacker and he's one of the most athletic basketball players of all time i mean as much as i love jordan he wasn't that mm -hmm. um i just think jordan had a better career and i think that's pretty self-evident his career wouldn't, and that the last dance was like a real evidence of that it was like a fairy tale like i mean obviously there were some bad things his father was murdered but you know he he retires, goes away for two years, comes back, and then so there's two perfect three-peats in there. And then, you know, what ended it was obviously kind of the mismanagement of Jerry Krause, or not even mismanagement, but just the ego and believing that, you know, he could build a team without these guys, which is one of the st stupidest things ever. Um, but yeah, that, that, that stuff was amazing. I don't think it really changed my opinion. I always knew that he was certainly, uh, you know, he was, uh, of like kind of a sociopath in terms of the way he treated his teammates but he he was one of these guys that just expected the best out of people and uh at the same time though you saw some human moments in the, in that documentary where like like he would you know he, he knew the media it was a different time then media was traveling with the team a lot more he got to know those guys so there was a lot more camaraderie in that sense that you don't see today so i don't think it's possible like you know a modern day superstar is going to have that kind of relationship with and we're not going to see necessarily video of that anyway. Um, but yeah, like it, it really caught his human side, like his friendships with the security staff at the United Center, you know, like the, the guy that the, the got sick with cancer and also like that guy with that crazy hair, you know, with like the gray <laughs> hair. With the, Yeah. So, I mean, that stuff was pretty cool. I thought that, you know, he, he, he definitely 
definitely like uh, he, he he's probably more, I guess for lack of a better term, an asshole than like <laughs> LeBron is to his teammates. But I think I think LeBron's the kind of guy that also like knows all his teammates and probably treats he treats his teammates with a degree of respect. But he also knows all of their limitations, just like Jordan did too. So. I don't know. I think that you know it, it's close, but I'd still I just give it to LeBron based on pure basketball. If you're talking about a better career, then it's Jordan. So going back to your Hong Kong connection, you tweeted out in February that New York City and Hong Kong were neck and neck for the greatest city ever. So I ask you, Chick, for someone who's never visited and may never visit, what is it about Hong Kong that makes it so great? Uh, probably the heat. Now, like I'm like <laughs> a huge fan of like weather because. I'm actually sitting aside right now. It's yeah. been humid, as you know, in the last like couple weeks. I'm a huge fan of this. A lot of people hate it, but, but like when you get off a plane in Hong Kong and like the humidity just punches you in the face, I think it's great. And like <laughs> you know, you sweat, and like then you can you can spend the morning like running and just you probably lose 10 pounds in sweat, and then you can just go drink beer. Um, also, the food, you know, kind of the it's an eclectic culture. It really is like it's it's very much like New York. It's like kind of an Asian New York. Um, and you know it's 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 really eclectic. Um, and the thing about New York too is New York's. I think it's probably lost some of its edge over the years. It's become sure. you know, really ex expensive. Hong Kong is obviously very expensive too. These are great places to visit. I'm not sure about living there, but but yeah, no, I would uh, I would still give Hong Kong the edge. And there they've got some political issues there now that are probably not going to you know resolve. Not, it'll never be the same. But it's still a place that I would recommend a lot of people go. Tokyo, too. It, I, I highly recommend going to Asia. It's a fantastic place. You want to learn a lot about the rest of the world and how they view also the Western society as well. And also eat a lot of good food and drink beer and, you know, kind of, you know, check things out. John, I know times got really dull there during this isolation period with the pandemic, but you and I both succumbed and ultimately downloaded TikTok, which made me feel like a million <laughs> years old. You've actually posted content. Will we be seeing more TikToks from John Chick in the future? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I posted a few and it was they were kind of interesting, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know, like engagement kind of goes up and down, but it's like, I don't know if I really want to make a habit of doing this. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know. I was, I, I kind of, after, you know, the everything kind of went sideways after, uh, you know, the George Floyd thing. So I'm like, oh, I'm probably not appropriate to post a bunch of, you know, stupid videos of me swinging a baseball bat or something like that. But, um, but then I saw this thing where these kids actually kind of totally fucked up the Trump rally in, uh, yeah. in uh, Tulsa. So I'm like, well, TikTok can't be all that bad. So I'll have to think about it. You know, there might be some, there may be in the future, some Instagram, TikTok uh, crossovers involving the dog. We'll have to see, uh, we'll get back into a more creative uh, groove, you know, maybe mid-summer. Yeah, give the people what they want. More videos of you and your dog, put it on TikTok, give it out to the mainstream. Yeah, I, I, there's some tricks to learn about it. It's not the same as just like posting a straight up video. But yeah, you probably have some fun with it too. I have some security questions about the actual platform itself, but probably best not to talk about then. <laughs> Chick, other than the shot, for you, what was the defining moment of last year's NBA championship run for the Toronto Raptors? It's it's probably the, the I thought about this because the, the the one thing that like the first thing that comes to mind is is Fred, you know, eye his eye, like him lying on the floor with his eye bleeding. Okay. For some reason that keeps coming back, like. 
like I would test myself and say, what did you think of this? Like, well, what, well, what do you remember most about this season? For some reason, that keeps coming back to me. I'm not even like I love Fred Van Vliet, but I'm like, I'm not a guy who's running out to buy Fred Van Vliet jerseys. But I just thought that and I knew also that when that happened, that that was the kind of moment that people are going to know that this guy is a legend for the rest of his life here. People are going to be buying him food. You know, every time, you know, he comes back to Toronto in like 50 years, he's still going to be a legend for that. Um, so, yeah, that kind of stuck out. And really just game six in Oakland, too. Like, the way that, like, you know, like how a lot of people thought, like, the moment was kind of robbed by the way, like, the, you know, like, Clay hurt himself and then the timeouts. Right. And, uh, you know, and that whole thing, kind of that delayed joy. Like, I'm standing in a bar and, like, it, it literally went on for, like, 20 minutes. Do you think Fred Van Vliet's going to be a Raptor next season? That's a really good question. I mean, I think what's... I think what really affects it now is what free agency looks like too. Do we even know what that's going to look like now with like a much lower, you know, salary cap, right? And how how is free agency going to go in this situation? I think that you know, had the pandemic never happened and we had just played out the season, I think that you know there's a good chance he wouldn't have because I think that somebody might throw a lot of money at him. And you know, I, I think you know, I think Masai Jerry and the Raptors probably have a contingency plan in place where they can offer him, um, right. you know, maybe make some other moves. But the way, the way that it works out now is with the, the cap probably going to drop. I mean, I would suspect some other team might still want to try and pay him. Mm-hmm. But given the circumstances, I mean, you know, and given what he has here, he might be more, it might be more of a, a chance that he stays. Well, I know the score is currently counting down the 100 greatest sports movie characters of all time, and now we don't know who the number one choice is just yet. But for your money, John, who is the greatest sports movie character of all time? Yeah, so I didn't actually, I was on vacation, like I took two weeks off, so I didn't actually get to vote on this. Well, I could have, but I just didn't. But yeah, like when we were talking about this at work, I I think like Gordon Bombay has got to be up there just because his name is Gordon Bombay. (laughs) You know, a hockey coach who is ordered to do so because he got a DUI. It's just like maybe one of the weakest pieces of writing ever, but just, just such a great movie character. And then I'm not even sure if he's in it, but, uh, uh, in the in the final list but uh pedro serrano from the original major league movie um i think okay. he's got to get some love too uh played by dennis Haysburg now sells insurance on uh commercials but so i think he's got to be up there too but i actually eagerly await the uh final the top uh 10 on this list well who has better hair gordon bombay or john chick uh you gotta go with gordon bombay yeah <laughs> i mean my, my hair's a mess you gotta see it now it's, i haven't purposely put a picture with me in it or a selfie up for a long time it's uh i obviously hasn't been cut since early march but what i've been doing is getting my wife to like shave the side so i've got like the hair on the top and i've been trying to slick it back like pat riley um (laughs) but yeah no i'm not taking a picture of that you might see it at some point but i'm not ready to unveil it quite yet and lastly chick it's prediction time if the season does reach a conclusion in orlando who's your selection to make it to the nba finals who's hoisting larry ob and who is the finals mvp i got this gonna i don't know if it sounds crazy i'm, I'm gonna go lakers raptors um if we actually get to this point if they can actually you know play out the entire season or you know the, the entire playoffs um yeah, I just, uh, I'm not counting out LeBron based on his focus this season, uh, the fact that AD's there. I mean, Avery Bradley kind of a big loss for him, but yeah, you know, I guess I got J.R. Smith now. 
Um, and the reason I say the Raptors, I'm really liking the situation there, and I'm not really not going with my heart on this one. It's almost more my brain because, you know, like obviously the injuries they had before the hiatus, you know, they've had all this time to to, to kind of heal. You, you see Marcus Gasol now; he looks like a friggin' triathlete like, <laughs> rather than what he looked like a year ago. Um, I, and I just think their focus is there. I think they got the right mix of young and you know guys who've been around a couple of years. Um, yeah, and you know they went through it last year. It's going to be a really bizarre environment these guys are in, probably when they've never been in before. You know, like a double AU tournament where you might be in a, one place for a couple of weeks, but these guys are going to be there for months. I, I just think you know, and with yeah, Nick Nurse, what he can do, you know, with a game plan. I think the Raptors could easily get to the finals and, you know, w- w- winning it. I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, you get into a, a, a series with uh, LeBron and AD, it's a tall order, but, you know, I'd probably give it to the Lakers at that point. Um, other than that, I don't know. Maybe uh, Will Segear's uh, Miami Heat could be a kind of a sleeper too. I like that uh, possibility too. I mean, I, I think that, again, circumstances you got to consider, um, you know, do they have the right mix? They got a good coach. so. Yeah, I, I, I would say I, I, the Lakers is kind of a fallback pick. The, the truth is anybody could probably win this thing because if they're going to go and do a tournament like for three months, anything could happen. I mean, for all we know, the Grizzlies could come out of this. I mean, I don't think so, but right. I don't know. You know, it's just uh, yeah, I, I would bet on the Lakers as the kind of the safe bet. And, you know, but if you want safety, I don't think you can dismiss the Raptors. Well, John, you're certainly endearing yourself to Raptors Twitter with your selection right there. Chick, thank you so much for joining me. It was a lot of fun getting to work with you for so many years down at the score, and I'm truly happy to be able to call you a friend. Before I let you go, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Uh, I was always at the score app. Uh, Once we uh, get those games back, I expect there'll be a lot more traffic back there. And Twitter, Roof That Peach. Uh, Instagram, home of the famous dog videos, uh, Roof That Peach as well. And TikTok, I think it's I think it's Roof That Peach too. But <laughs> don't, don't go to TikTok no, no. <laughs> not until we get a, a better plan about how to attack that one. Chick, you're the best, buddy. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, I miss you, man. Thanks for having me. And that was my interview with John Chick. Of course, follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok for that matter, at Roof That Peach. Uh, seriously, I hope we do get some more TikToks from John down the road because I think they're hilarious, whether they incorporate his dog or not. And I definitely mean it when I say that John is perhaps the coolest guy I've ever met. I, I have such a tremendous respect for him. He's always kept it real with me, and I appreciate that about him. And I wish him nothing but the best at the score or wherever it is that he ends up because he's that good at what he does. And I think that piece he wrote about the anniversary of the Air India bombings just further cements that. So I thank him once again for taking the time out of what was a free day for him to join me on the show. I also have to give a giant thank you to Jason once again, because whenever I'm in a jam when it comes to audio, he bails me out 100% of the time. So I want everyone out there who works with audio or has a podcast or a similar project to know that Jason is truly great at what he does. And if you'd like him to do some editing for you, please reach out to him on Twitter at JLung20. This has been episode 10 of the Walder Sportscast. Please subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review, and check out all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever it is that you download your shows. That is another one in the books, so I'll see you on the next episode. 
Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.